Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Book of John, uh, we've been studying, we've looked at two of them, but John shares seven times in, the, in his gospel where he said, they're called I am statements. Uh, a couple months ago, I shared one of them called, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so what Jesus is, is picking up on and what John is making sure that we understand is that in Exodus, God told Moses one of his names being I am. And just blank, I am everything. That's who I am. I am is who I am. And so Jesus is picking up on that idea that, that he is God and through the book of John, he shares seven different times of who he is. A couple months ago in John chapter 6, Jim talked about how he is, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Back in October, I, I, spoke, I spoke on how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And to this month, we're looking at where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I, uh, I've always had this idea in my mind when I've thought about this passage, when I've thought about I am the way, the truth, and the life, I've always pictured Jesus standing in front of the temple or just performing a miracle where there's a lot of people around him. Religious leaders and followers of Jesus, some of his disciples, and just a crowd. And where Jesus stands up and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he shares it in a controversial way that is goes against their culture and against their religious practices. And he may have done that. I probably imagine that he would have. But in this passage, in John chapter 14, he doesn't do that. See, it's always important to look at the context. In this passage, it's in the upper room with his disciples, with his closest friends. And it's called the Upper Room Discourse. And so John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Jesus is talking to his closest friends. In John chapter 13, we're going to look at this context of what this I am statement is. But in John chapter 13, Jesus brings his disciples in. They're sharing a meal together. And they have the first Lord's Supper where he broke the bread and gave them the wine. And then after the Lord's Supper where he's where he's talking about how he is going to give his life for people and for mankind. And he's going to pour out his blood so that they can have forgiveness of sin. And he takes a towel and he humbles himself and he washes their feet. And then what does he do? He looks to his disciples and he says, one of you, one of you, you're going to go betray me. Whoops. You're going to go betray me. So go ahead and do it. And Judas leaves. Can you imagine what those disciples were feeling? They've been walking with this man for a couple of years, maybe three years. And they all, all of a sudden, he's been wanting to go portray. I mean, not portray. Did I say portray? I didn't mean portray. Betray Jesus. And turn him into the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. I would imagine there is chaos and confusion going on in the disciples' 
minds. Around that table, there's whispering of like, what is happening? Jesus just said again, even though they probably didn't quite understand it, that he's about to die. And then they're going to say that one of their best friends is going to betray Jesus and turn him in. And then Peter stands up and says, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and Jesus says, you're right. But you are going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. Can you imagine what is going on in their minds? Confusion. I would imagine chaos. Maybe some inner turmoil and struggle. And we know all that because Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 1. So let's look at that. He says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's like, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. What you're seeing here and what you just experienced is probably chaotic and confusing, maybe disheartening and troubling, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to, a, to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And then I love this. I can actually picture myself being in Thomas's shoes. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? He's like, you telling us that we know the way? We have no idea. I can imagine Thomas having, even like saying, Jesus, you speak in riddles and stories and you're talking about all this stuff. We're confused. We don't know. Please tell us. And then out of that, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What Jesus is saying is very controversial. But I think, and he's making a big statement. But I think that controversy and that statement is more about settling and helping and tending to the disciples' hearts. And to our hearts. It's not just making this lauded statement where he's like putting his face on religion and he's saying, the way is me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that is true. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But what he's trying to get to is like, you're confused. You're troubled. Your heart is troubled. There's chaos going surrounding you. And the chaos is about to get even larger with his crucifixion and his trial and his beating. He's saying, just wait. Don't let your heart be troubled. I am the way. I am the way. So let's look at that for a moment. This, before we get to verse 6, um, something that I read about this past week was very intriguing and eye-opening to me. And so in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So this whole context is underneath the heading of do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is coming to the disciples and trying to comfort them. 
But then he says this, In my Father's house are many, many dwelling places, or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Growing up, I was always told and always taught that that passage had the inclination that Jesus is going to go up in heaven and prepare heaven for me and for all the believers. But this week, there's been, I mean, in the last couple weeks I've been studying this, there's, there's a couple of different meanings there that I think are more important and maybe more realistic. And so one is Jesus was saying this, in 24 hours, I'm being crucified. I'm about to die for the sins of all mankind and to reunite man with God. And three days after that, I'm going to demonstrate my authority and power over death and over sin by raising from the grave. So this idea of him preparing a place for us has everything to do with him going to the cross and defeating sin and defeating death so that we can be reunited with God and have a relationship with him. But something else I, I found really intriguing this week is that this one commentator that I read said that this, this passage, these two verses, has a lot of wedding imagery in it. A lot of wedding imagery in it. And so let me give you a history on weddings back in the Jewish day. So usually a father of the son and a father of a woman or a girl would get together and say, our two children need to get married. They would come up with a price and they would, um, called a dowry, and they would agree that these two are going to get married and they would be having to give land or money or riches or services to pay for the bride. It's called a dowry. And so what happened is that there was a time when the engagement would happen, but it's really an engagement between not just the man and the woman, but the, the father and another father and the two families. It's called a betrothal. And so once that happened, most often the bride and the groom would be separated for about a year's time where the bride is being prepared to be a bride and a wife and the son, the groom, is being prepared for his life. He may have to go into service into the military. He may have to go into to work in the fields to pay for that dowry. He may need to go work and to be trained to provide for his family. But there is a time of separation with the hope that the groom was going to come back for the bride and have the wedding ceremony. Much like what's going on with Christ. Christ was on earth with us. Paid a dowry in his own life. And one day is promising to come and return to reunite with us and bring us to himself. So Jesus is giving this idea to his disciples of like, there's this jubilant time of the wedding that I am going to invite you to participate in. 
And I want you to come be with me in relationship for now and forever. And you know the way. And Thomas is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus then made some very clear statements saying, I am the way. Jesus isn't saying you have to follow down this track of like you need to memorize these things or be a good person or do certain things. Jesus is saying the way, the journey, the road is me. Not anything else. The way is me. So in that backdrop and with that context, let's look at what Jesus is talking about. Before we do, I want to share a story. In 2006, Katie and I were living in San Antonio. And we flew up to Tennessee to spend Thanksgiving with Katie's parents. Katie's parents live in Kansas and they flew over, they drove over to Tennessee and we were spending some time in East Tennessee. Um, we spent some time in Pigeon Forge. We rented a cabin with Katie's uncle and aunt. There's about 10 of us there in this cabin on top of a hill. Um, and I'm sure there's other stories that I can share about that cabin, um, but I won't right now. And so we spent some time in Pigeon Forge and Katie and I were gonna be catching a flight out of Knoxville. I think it's about an hour away from the Pigeon Forge area. So we decided to go and have lunch in another city called Gatlinburg. And when it was time for us to leave um, and catch our flight, Katie's parents were driving us, gonna drop us off at the airport on their way back to Kansas. And so we had lunch in Gatlinburg and we asked somebody, what's the fastest way to get to Gatlinburg? The, the Knoxville. We didn't want to go back to Pigeon Forge because the traffic was awful. And they said, you go down here and you'll catch a ride, you'll probably see a sign, and you'll go the back way to, to Knoxville. And so I just need to remind everybody, this was before iPhones and Google Maps and GPS was really prevalent. You would use things called maps and you ask friends for directions. Um, that's how you find places and you go to places. And so if you didn't know that, then ask somebody and they can tell you about these things called Atlas Maps and you can be really beneficial to your life. Um, so we were going down this road and we kept going and we were like, didn't know where we were going. And so my father-in-law is like, you've probably been there, you're, you're running late so you just go faster. It's like you're gonna try to get lost faster. And so we all of a sudden go into this mountain and we see this sign that says, welcome to North Carolina. Just to give you an idea, so Gatlinburg is on the east part of Tennessee. Knoxville, where we're supposed to go, is west of Gatlinburg. And if you know your geography, maybe you don't because you use iPhones and Google Maps. Tennessee, I mean North Carolina, is on the other side, the east part of Tennessee. So when we see the Welcome to North Carolina sign, we're like, we've gone too far and we have a plane to catch. And so we're like, what do we do? So my father-in-law cuts somebody off and turns around <laughs> and he starts going faster and there was nothing on this road. And so we find this, this general store with a gas pump with a 20, probably 23 year old working there. And my father-in-law and I walk in and we say, we're lost, we gotta get to the airport really, really fast in Knoxville how do we get there? And I don't even know if he looked up at me. 
but he turned around and he said, go down this road through this state park. You're gonna pass a bunch of people staying in tents and it's a camper, you're going through an RV park. When you get over the river, you're gonna turn left. You're not gonna see any signs, just turn left when you get over the river. You're gonna go around this mountain and you're gonna to get to another road. I don't know what that road's called, but turn left on that one and you'll end up at the airport at Knoxville. Okay. So we had a choice. We could trust this guy who probably knew what he was talking about, but we really had no idea and it was really uncomfortable or go back through town and miss our flight. We did that. My father-in-law is a very cautious driver, but he was like, no one talk to me, I'm driving. And he was driving fast. And we, we ended up getting there through the RV park, through the state park, over the river, around the mountain, turn left where there wasn't a sign, and we ended up at the arrival terminal at Knoxville Airport 35 minutes later. We were lost. We were lost. And we would not have made that at all on our own. Somebody had to help us. Somebody had to point us the way. And in our lives, that's what Jesus did. And I believe Jesus, when he says, I am the way, I think there's two fold, two purposes of that statement. And so the first one is this. Jesus says, I am the way. He says, he is the way for salvation. He's what, he is the way. That's what we all, almost always hear when this passage is talked about, is that he is the way. Not a way, not a part way, not a partial way. He is the only way. Jesus was very clear when he said this statement. He said, I am the way. He used an article. He could have not used that article, the. But he used the article, the, to be very clear and point that I am the only way that you can get united with God. I am the only way. It's not through works. It's not through your own righteousness. It's not through your own beliefs. It's not even through your own trying really, really hard. That's what distinguishes Christianity, and actually I'm going to say it in even a different way. That is, that's what distinguishes a Christ follower with every other religion. It's because Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father. Jewish people tried. They had all these laws that God gave them to try to be perfect and try to earn their way. All the laws from the Old Testament. And Jesus, God did that so that they would be able to see that they need a Savior. And Jesus is that. He says, I am the way. He is the only way. So I love the fact that we get to talk about Advent, talk about how then Joseph was able to come and say, I'm going to trust you, God, that this child that I get to raise is the way 
going to be the incarnate God, the God with us. And the thing that struck me even more so this week was the, this, is that I believe that Jesus is the way in this life right now. He's the way for us today. He's not just the way for us to have a transaction to get to heaven. If that's the case, you're missing the whole point. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to have a relationship with me where he demonstrates that he is the way for me today. Just one chapter later, Jesus says this, the seventh I am statement, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You can't have a branch that's really growing and living and, and thriving and flourishing unless it's connected to the vine. And Jesus says, I am the vine. And if you want to thrive and grow and be vibrant and flourish, then you have to be connected to me. Not just partially connected to me, but connected to me. I am the way. Jesus talked about how in Matthew chapter 11, he says that, that for all those who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. Man, this last year and a half, that passage in Matthew chapter 11 has been gold for me. For all those who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is The disciples were confused, chaos, struggling. Their heart was overwhelmed. And Jesus says, remember guys, we've talked about this before. I am the way. Trust in me. Trust and believe in me because I am the way. Not your circumstances, not trying to figure it out on your own, but I am the way. I am the way. So I don't know what kind of struggles you may be having. Maybe a crisis of belief. Maybe a struggle with your health. Maybe a struggle with your finances. Maybe this season is not necessarily a fun season because it involves family. I don't know what kind of struggles or chaos or heartache you may be experiencing. You may be experiencing loss. Loss of relationships. Loss of some kind of identity at work. I don't know what it is, but Jesus is saying, don't let your heart just be troubled. I am the way. Seek me first and my righteousness. Seek me first and my righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you in Matthew chapter 6. I love it when Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, just as you, I don't want to quote it wrong, so I'm going to get there. Man, I was so close. Um, <laughs> Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, 
It's clear that we received Christ Jesus as Lord by grace and through faith. We trust God with our life when we receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And Paul says, so walk in him in the same way. So often I think we try to receive Christ by grace and through faith and by trusting, but then we try to walk in our own strength. If we pray enough, if we read the Bible enough, if we fast enough, if we go to church all the time, if we serve, and if we love, then that's going to be the right Christian life. But Jesus says, I am the way. I have a better way. And that means abiding in Him, trusting in Him through grace and through faith and through a deep-seated trust. My question for you today, as we about to close, is this. What thing, things, are you needing to trust God with right now in your life? What's chaotic around you? And maybe like Brian, everything is great and awesome, but just wait. It'll soon change, I'm sure. But what do you need to trust God for? What do you need to trust God and say, God, I know that you're the way and you're the path forward through this. I was talking to a friend yesterday afternoon. He came over and was uh, talking with me and spent some time praying with Katie and I. And uh, we were sharing some things that we were struggling through right now and praying for. And, and he's like, Jesus is that path forward through this. And surrendering to him and trusting him and saying, God, here I am. I trust you because you didn't say this, but it works right now. You're the way. You're the way. Jesus says, I am the way. And my father-in-law dropped us off at the airport when we were like, we saw the airport on our horizon. We had a took a deep breath and he slowed down a little bit. And he said, it would have been much easier to be on the interstate this whole time because we would have known we were going in the right direction. The reason why, because you see all these signs that says Knoxville, 45 miles, and then Knoxville, 28 miles, and Knoxville, 12 miles, and airport exit in two miles. It would have been a lot easier going to the interstate. But it required an immense amount of trust to trust the, the general store guy who we really didn't know if he knew what he was talking about. But the great thing about Jesus is he is the way. He's just not telling us, hey, go this way. He's saying, come to me and I'll give you everything that you ever want to need. I'm just asking you to trust me. And that's the way of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us, encourage us, that you are our hope. Pray, God, that you would encourage us with the fact that you came as a baby, born in a stable to live this life in a very unexpected way. 
to walk with us, to live with us, to teach us, to show us the way. You're not just telling us this is the way to go, but you lived in life as a demonstration and an example of the way to live. The way. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to have hope in times where it's hard, to trust in moments that are struggles, and you would demonstrate the way in our life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.